What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. This is a very special show because this is our NFL Draft preview show. The NFL Draft is coming up in the next few days, and we wanted to make sure we did a, a, a pretty in-depth breakdown or, you know, to, to recap some of the things that we're looking forward to seeing this past week. And we'll pl- talk plenty of post-draft stuff next week on the podcast so this should be a really fun show we also have some nba playoff talk of course we'll have who's flames and who's trash uh and uh of course kendall's court at the end of the show joining me are my co-hosts one who's usually here kendall stewart uh is is, is in the house kendall uh what are you looking forward to talking about today yeah you know we're, we're here it's draft week um we've had a you know a little bit of draft coverage you know over the last couple of months but uh, you know, it's mostly been centered around Kyler Murray, but you know now we're going to be able to talk about some of the other guys in this draft and where they could end up uh, falling uh, come this weekend. So I'm excited, uh, and also a lot of uh, a lot of interesting nuggets that I have for you guys coming uh, uh, later in the show. So uh, basketball related, so that should be fun. And also joining me is a special guest on this show. Rob DeRay, NFL draft guru himself, and my good friend is on the podcast uh, for the top of the show to talk NFL draft. Rob, uh, first of all, what's up, dude? Uh, how you how you, how you feeling? Thanks for coming on the show. Feeling good. Glad to be here. What's going on, guys? Nothing much, man. Before we even get into the NFL draft stuff, I felt obligated to at least bring up. Uh, at this point in the day, it's probably not breaking, but it was a pretty big move ahead of this week's draft. The uh, Chiefs have elected to trade for um, defensive end Frank Clark, along with giving him a $100 million contract worth $63 million in guarantees. Uh, he's going to KC in an exchange. Uh, Seattle will receive the Chiefs' first and second round picks. I gotta ask your opinion on this, Rob. I know that they've changed defensive coordinators from Sutton to Spagnolo, so the four three look should make him a better fit than maybe D Ford was. They lost Justin Houston as well this offseason. But it, it does seem a little odd to me that they would let one guy go because they thought he was too much money, then spend uh basically the same money or maybe even a little more per annually and in guarantees on uh clark and then give up two first round two picks in that regard two pretty high picks i I, i'm having trouble kind of justifying this move for kc other than clark being a really good player is there something i'm missing on this uh i don't think you're missing anything Uh, i'm actually i was pretty high on d ford but i know there was some concern that he was a one-year wonder clark's done this probably now three years in a row he's been elite Uh, i'm and then I just figured the Chiefs think that Frank Clark with the 29th overall pick is better than anything they're going to get. And the second-round pick coming next year is uh, outside of the immediate window that I'm sure Andy Reid thinks. I, I think it's just a simple – they must think that Clark is a better player uh, than D. Ford. And if they were going to lock someone up long-term, it was worth the extra draft pick because they got a two for, yeah. for D. Ford, so that kind of evens out. Kendall, I, to me, uh, I do think the second-round pick they got for D4 does help them a little bit in this deal. But one of the things that, that you know, this deal, along with the four deal that he got, um, it really points to me that this is uh, – the, the pass rusher position is 
become a just a, a flat out premium. I think besides, yeah. you know, quarterback, I don't know if there's a, another position that I could point and say this guy, th- like these guys are going to be the highest paid, most valuable guys. I mean, we all talk about left tackle being very important too, but I, I think after that, there's no debate. It's defensive tackle. I mean, you all the hundred million dollars are being spent on guys like Khalil Mack now, uh, Clark, who I think is really Clark good. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Clark, who I think is really good, but I, I don't see him as uh, Von Miller, J.J. Watt, like just game wrecking defensive. He's a very good player, but even He's someone not a like team talent right now, right? Yeah, he could potentially maybe get there, but not there yet. It's crazy to me that even someone like him could demand a first round, a second round pick, and then a hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Rob hit it on the nail when he talked about uh, the window of uh, contention that I think Kansas City is feeling. Um, when you look at the fact that their quarterback Pat Mahomes is still on a uh, a cheap deal, I think they're trying to capitalize on uh, the amount of money that they have now and. If they feel like, you know, uh, Rob also mentioned Andy Reid is also uh, not somebody I would expect to be there for the next, you know, six, seven years. Mm. Um, but if they feel like, look, their window of opportunity for winning a, a title is the next two, three years, um, anyone they end up drafting in that in that slot at 29, the odds of them being a top five pass rusher like Frank Clark are, it's unlikely, you know, um, you could have maybe made the case they could have used that same draft capital to trade up to maybe get there a lot of good pass rushers in this draft, but it's not nearly as sure of a thing. You know, if you end up with a clone Farrell or somebody, um, is that the same as, uh, you know, getting somebody like Frank Clark, you won't have to pay him the same amount of money. Uh, but, uh, again, this is a team that's trying to win now. They're not really trying to, uh, be patient. So, I mean, I understand the mindset is certainly a, a swing for the fences type of move. But, I mean, remember the last thing we saw do make moves like this? It was the L.A. Rams. And, you know, it ended up working out in their favor. They didn't win a Super Bowl, but um, they brought in a lot of pieces that they knew would help them win in the short term, not necessarily in the long term, and help them get to a Super Bowl. So I definitely understand the, the mindset because, look, they need guys that are, that are going to be able to get after Brady. If they want to get past New England, uh, which is going to be their main competition going forward, and Frank Clark is that type of guy. Um, it's definitely though a short-sighted move, I would imagine. I, I think that you know, also EJ, what you said, is going to lead us right into our next segment. Mm. You know, talking about the draft, it's quarterbacks and pass rushers, yeah. and then everybody else. That's really what the NFL is right now. Either you are a quarterback, or you can get after a quarterback. That's Unless you're an outlier like Julio Jones or you know, a cornerback like Patrick Peterson, that's elite, elite. You're you're second tier after pass rushers and quarterbacks. Yeah, and we saw that even with someone like Odell Beckham, <laughs> they, the Giants were willing to ship out. Um, at the same, they wouldn't ship him out, but at the end of the day, he didn't fit into that quarterback, uh, you know, pass rusher category, and that that those guys are, I think, to a lot of these teams, replaceable, even the guys who are outstanding, you know. Um, but that does uh, lead us very well into this draft conversation, beginning with Kyler Murray. Um, the rumors with him and the Cardinals have been all over the place for pretty much the, from pretty much the moment he 
uh, announced he was entering the NFL draft and foregoing a baseball career. Uh, at one point, it sounded like it was a lock that he would be heading to Arizona. Now there have been recent reports that Arizona has ruled out Murray at number one, which seems like a crazy about face if that is true. Um, I want to, regardless of whether or not it is going to happen or will it happen, Rob, do you think in your eyes Murray should be the pick at number one? I was high on Rosen last year. I would have no issue if the Cardinals just elected to stick with Rosen. But there are maybe four elite prospects in this draft, and Kyler Murray is one of them, and he's the quarterback. So in the spirit of your question, yes, he deserves to go number one. Is there – do you think that – so you so in your eyes, do you think that has to be with Arizona? Or do you think that if Arizona elects not to draft him, should they look to trade down? I think someone – I think that – there will be teams that would be willing to go up to number one. I understand, I, I understand if Arizona just wants to stick and take Nick Bosa or maybe they like somebody else instead. Uh, but then I think that if I'm the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, I, I would consider Kyler Murray. Uh, if I'm the Jets, I'm looking to mortgage that pick for anyone trying to get ahead of the Giants and the Raiders. Yeah. From the Raiders, I'm looking at Kyler Murray. I think he's wait, a special wait, wait. talent. But you think the 49ers would consider drafting Kyler Murray? I think if I if I was Kyle Shanahan, I would run the card up, and uh, I might not be wearing pants at the time. <laughs> they already paid Jimmy Garoppolo uh, the majority of the money on his deal in, in year one, so it wouldn't be outrageous to get out of the contract. And I, I wasn't I'm not crazy about Jimmy Garoppolo as a, as a player. I think it's night and day, the talent, the difference in talent level between Garoppolo and Murray in Murray's favor. That's interesting. I haven't seen that many people, Kendall, talk about the Niners uh, being a team that maybe would consider uh, him. It's all been about whether or not Joey Bosa could survive living in San Francisco for X amount of years. Um, Do you think that Murray would be a a good fit at number one? Do you think that that fit at San Francisco is – is a good one in your eyes. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's, what's funny is that the last time we had uh, Rob on our, on our, on our show, um, it was when Cliff Kingsbury got hired by, it was like the same day he got hired by the Cardinals. And we talked about, at the time, we talked about, that was when, like, the video surfaced of him talking about him going number one. And so it's just funny how we come full circle. And, you know, at the time, he wasn't even, he was still a baseball prospect. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I, I mean, if I'm the Cardinals, uh, I draft the number one and I trade Rosen only because I think similar to what we talked about at the time, if you draft, if you hire Cliff Kingsbury to be your head coach, you have to go full send. You gotta, you gotta bring in a guy that is gonna be Kingsbury's guy. Kingsbury made that clear since he was at Texas A&M, Texas Tech. He recruited the kid. Um, he fits his style of play much more than Rosen does, you would imagine. Um, I can't I, – I mean, I love Nick Bosa as a prospect. I mean, you watch him – we'll talk about him probably a little later. But So I would – I completely understand the, the logic in just saying, you know, we're just going to draft Bosa. But um, that's for any other coach. But for Kingsbury specifically, I, I would have to think that it's going to be Kyler Murray. Um, Antonio Bryant, former Pitt legend, former – you know, played on a million teams in the NFL. 
uh, wide receiver claimed that uh, he's got an inside source that says he said for like weeks now that uh, Nick Bosa will be the number one pick in the draft. So he trusts his source. It's not going to be Murray. It's all smoke screen. I don't know. Um, I for me, I just feel like this 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 Murray not going to Arizona thing just it come, it's come out of nowhere. To the point where I yeah. I just I I'm, I can't buy it. The only thing I can see happening is them trading out of the pick, but I think there's no way the Cardinals stick at number one in draft. Nick Bosa. Yeah, the the Murray the the reports earlier that Murray was ruled out at number one smell fishy to me. Uh, when we talked about it earlier, Kendall, I I made the case that I think that this is absolutely a smoke screen. I think this Arizona saying, look, we have a young quarterback. Yeah, we're gonna have to massage this relationship if at some point we don't get a quarterback particularly Murray, uh, in this uh, first round. But we have somebody here who who has shown ability, at least in college, and last year there wasn't enough really for him to really show what he could do because that team was such a dumpster fire. They say, look, why don't we just put out there, hey, we're not in on Murray, and let's see what teams run up there with our crazy offer to, with their crazy offers to get to that number one pick, and will it be worthwhile to drop back one, two, or three or four spots to get one of these, uh, what we were talking about later, these elite uh, defensive linemen. That would not be a terrible move if you're the Arizona Cardinals, a team that to me looks like some uh, a franchise that has issues pretty much all over the field. Uh, their offensive line is a mess. Their defense outside of the secondary is a mess. Um, they need more playmakers. I mean, they, they have a lot of concerns. So Kyler Murray is such a over-the-top, a crazy athlete. You hope that he can rise the ability of the other guys around him. But they may look at this as an opportunity and say, look, we have Rosen, and we can actually put some pieces around him that make sense. Maybe this is a good way to start. And then maybe we can still get our guy. Maybe their guy is uh, Quinnen Williams. Maybe their guy is Nick uh, 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 is, is Bosa. Um, they won't know that, though, if they don't at least uh, you know, make the call or, or do the necessary smoke screens to see what would they get in return, potentially. Uh, that's the pl- game I think they're playing. I think if that does not work, they will then go to taking, uh, right, uh, take taking Murray. But I think this to me at least tells me a sign that look, they they understand that they have a pretty good guy in house, and that there are a lot of other great players around number one. Yeah, and I think they want to entertain the idea of. I think they want teams around the league to have the feeling that Murray is attainable, and that. You know, there was a lot of talk that they were all in on Murray. and But once you get this close to, to draft week, um, I think they want an Oakland or New York or Washington or Miami or whatever quarterback needy team uh, is out there, Jacksonville, that says, you know, we'll give you X, Y, and Z for the number one pick in the draft. I think, that's, I think they want those teams to make those calls. And those calls are less likely to happen if they – if they continue to badger that they're going to draft. Those calls are going to be happening for Rosen. They keep saying they're going to draft Murray. Now, I'd imagine those calls might be happening for Murray rather than Rosen. So, um, Arizona, they're, I mean, whenever you're at, whenever you, whenever you have the number one pick in the draft in any sport, you control the, the rest of the draft. Yeah. So, they're in a great spot regardless of what they do. They draft Murray. They can say that was all smoke. They draft Bosa. Say he was our guy. He was our guy. He was our guy all along, and the Murray stuff was smoke, and Rosen was our guy all along. So regardless of what they do, they're in great shape. But 
Um, if I were Cliff Kingsbury there in the Cardinals organization, it would be Murray for me. Rob, is uh is is Murray number one quarterback for you? Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Cause we did our we did our rankings and I had I actually had Haskins at one and Murray at two. So I saw that. My concerns with Murray, if you've seen our, so, <laughs> my concerns about Murray, as you saw in the video, was less about his ability and more about my injury concern with him. Is that, you know, as much as I love the kind of players like, like, like Murray, the exciting run outside the pocket, make plays out of nothing players, it, the evidence is there that guys that little, guys who play that, I don't think he plays recklessly, so I don't want to say recklessly, but guys who put themselves in the line of danger tend to be injury-prone. And him being at 5'9", 5'10", that would be a concern for me, where I like Haskins. I know he's a little bit more of a guy to develop, but the proof is in the pudding when you look at the numbers he put up at Ohio State. Why are you not as high on Haskins? Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm low on Haskins, but uh, I just think that Murray is... Murray's just got such a special talent. I'm not worried about the durability because uh, I don't own an NFL team and I don't have medical staff that could, you know, scare the crap out of me with you know their negative reports. I see what he does on the field. I think he would instantly change an offense. Um, I just think that he's a prospect in the to me in the same range that I thought of. You know, Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III and Sam Bradford uh, doesn't mean they all worked out as players. And mm-hmm. two of those three, actually all three, have been hampered by injuries that have, in some cases, derailed their career and others at least given you a little scare. So you could take that with a grain of salt. But I, I put Kyler, Kyler Murray kind of on that level as a prospect right. where Haskins compares more you know, to the five guys went in the first round last year. What really good what? prospects, but not those guys that I'm you know trading five first round picks to mm-hmm. to get on my team. What impact do you, Rob, see Murray having immediately? Do you see is it is he a guy that could be like a Pro Bowl MVP candidate type of guy early on in his career, or is he a guy you'd rather have sit for a year? Like what what? I'm not sitting any. I'm not sitting any quarterback that I have any faith in. Yeah, the circumstances would have to be extremely specific. That I wouldn't sit Haskins either. Uh, I would play him if I was going to draft him. But I think that Murray. I kind of like when I look at quarterbacks. I look at you know Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, uh, Philip Rivers. Uh, I'm no missing one more. Oh, and probably Patrick Mahomes. Uh, these guys change the game. You have them, you pay them. If you, what the Seahawks just paid Russell Wilson, one of the most biggest bargains in the NFL to have that guy on that little salary because he's worth, he's probably worth twice that. It's like having LeBron, you know, in his prime on a max salary slot compared to all the other max salary slots. You have a deal. Right. Murray's, he has the potential to kind of be in that group, but. I'd rather have, with his upside, I'd rather have him than a guy like Matthew Stafford or, you know, this you know version of Ben Roethlisberger, where you're paying the guy you know twenty million, and he, he's going through the motions. He's he's not elevating the entire team. I think that that Murray could 
you just be on that higher level. Uh, shifting by year two. Shifting over to the defense, Rob. Uh, at the top of the draft, there are, of course, really impressive uh, defensive linemen. Uh, you got Bosa, uh, uh, Josh Allen, Quentin Williams, Eddie Oliver. Uh, of the top defensive linemen, who is the guy that you feel like is number one in your eyes out of those guys? It's tough because Josh Allen is my guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love. I thought he was going to come out last year, and I was going to give him a top twenty grade last year. Um, I still wouldn't. I if I was in charge, I'd have a hard time not taking Nick Bosa. Uh, I think that they're both, you know, top four prospects in this draft. But I've seen what Joey Bosa did, and Nick is kind of he's a better athlete. He's right with him in terms of his use of his hands. I know he wasn't as productive, and he had the injury. Uh, and you know, I've had Jet fans who have been asking me, Allen or Bosa, for a long time. And although I've been leaning Bosa, all they, the first thing they say is, yeah, but how do you know that they're just not going to take half the year off with an injury they announce like the day before the season? <laughs> I, I don't have an answer for that. Um, but as a prospect, based on watching the film, I, I give Bosa the slight edge, but, but Allen really came in hot. What, what does Bosa do that Allen doesn't do as well that you would say gives him the edge for you? Bosa's just, he, he's ready. Like, he goes in, he doesn't have to learn anything. Allen's still learning, and you could see that. I mean, he was super productive at Kentucky. I know that there's a report the Jets were worried that he was a one-hit wonder. He had seven sacks as a sophomore, seven sacks as a junior, 17 this year as a senior, and he doesn't even rush the passer full-time. You know, he's out there in coverage, and he's, he's like an off-the-ball linebacker. Um, at times, making him a full-time pass rusher, like what they were going to do with Anthony Barr, who has had you know, success as a pass rusher but never did it full-time. Uh, I, I can't believe that that would be a concern for them. But, uh, but Bosa comes in, and he's the type of guy, like if he, if he gave you 14 sacks as a rookie, you know, nobody would be surprised. He's going to come in, he's like full 280 pounds, as great as you know, it is to have like these Leonard Floyd types, Brian Burns out of Florida State is like that, where you come in and you're 230, but you could rush the passer like nothing else. You know, being 280 pounds and being able to deliver the same pass rush, but also be able to stop the run. Mm-hmm. Joey Bosa is just a complete prospect, and he was you know, wall-to-wall the number one prospect on my board, and I imagine the number one prospect on most boards. Hey, uh, Kendall, what about you? Do you have a... Do you have a, a top guy out of the out of the linemen? Uh, I mean, I, I think Nick Bosa is in a class of his own um, amongst all these guys. Uh, he, I mean, I, I mean, I'm the most sure that Nick Bosa, out of anybody in this draft, is going to be like a stud. You know, I, I'm, I, I do. You do have to worry about, like Rob mentioned, kind of the off the off the field concerns. Uh, you know. Obviously, you know, the Bosa's have had a bit of a checkered past. Um, you know, you don't know. I mean, the dude just essentially quit on the team earlier in the year. You know, Joey Bosa had his issues with, uh, going into his rookie year. So, I mean, you don't – and he had, you know, character concerns coming out of Ohio State. So, you, you don't know about any of those things. But um, in terms of a guy, like, on 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 film, it, I mean, yeah, he's, he's dynamite. Um He's somebody that I would draft number one if I did if I already had a quarterback. Um, so 
I think he's in a class of his own. Um, I'm also, I think Ed Oliver has been a little uh, underrated in this draft process. You know, he's starting to rise now late, and I think a lot of that is big teams are starting to realize that, um, you know, yes, he had a, a poor uh, junior year, but, um, you know, me and you, EJ, we talked about it a couple days ago that guys when they when they come into the when they come into their uh junior years having been hyped up so much to the point where they know they're going to the nfl and they're playing a position like the defensive line where you need to have your motor running 24 7 it's hard it's hard to have not everybody's wired to do that you know we saw it with Jadavion Clowney his junior year at south carolina he wasn't wired to do that uh but that hasn't necessarily hurt him in the nfl i think at Ed oliver uh especially if you watch him uh, his sophomore year in Houston uh, is the type of guy that will be probably a pro bowler in the, in the league. But Nick Bosa, I think, is the most likely gold jacket guy in this, uh, in this draft. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Bosa's been the cleared number one for a lot of people. I, I think that is very close. I think it's maybe closer than maybe other people think when it comes to uh, him, Allen, Williams. And I do agree. I think El Oliver is also has been to be a, a dominant player. Uh, I would probably lean Bosa because of all the things that uh, Rob said, you know, Bosa being a little bit more of a uh, of a threat in the run game and the pass game. But it, it, Allen is such a tantalizing prospect to me, guys, because when you have that ability to just be unblockable, to get after the passer when you pin your ears back, and no one be able to stop you in the SEC, that's not a... Guys, that's not a conference where people are dropping back 50 times. I mean, they play kind of... Most of those teams play old-school football in the SEC. So it's not like this is someone playing in Big 12 getting a million chances to get sacks. And this is a guy, as Rob said, who's also playing... uh, 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 Not playing with his hand in the ground. He's not someone who's also rushing the pass every time. So to have his level of production, um, most of the time playing on a defense where he's the guy that got to stop. He's the guy they're looking at. And you still rack up 17 and a half sacks. I mean... I, I just think that's something that I, I it would be hard for me to pass up on a guy like that who I feel like can come and step in the NFL right away and just get after the passer. And I, I don't want to sleep on Quentin Williams. You know, sometimes the the the, the interior linemen don't get as much love uh, because they might not rack up the 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 high high sack numbers unless you're an Aaron Donald type of player. But uh, he's a complete game wrecker. Every time you turn on Alabama, it was ridiculous trying to watch kids try to block this guy. So I think that he's right there too. I think this is a great class. I I, I think I can live with Bosa at number one as far as alignment. Though I do think I, I'm not honestly I'm not as concerned as with the character stuff. Maybe some people are. I just feel like in NFL locker room you're gonna see a lot of people who probably have some crazy uh, crazy viewpoints. His could be his has the potential to be a little more explosive, especially in light of the Riley Coopers of the world and things like that. But uh, I think the fact that his brother has already come into the league after all the concerns he had, and nobody even complains about or talks about it anymore because he produces at such a high level, I, f- I expect Nick to be the same. Any other, any other, anyone, anyone other thoughts on the defensive lineman before we move on? Uh, it's, a, it's a loaded class, but uh, to me, both and Allen are on their I, own I, level. The one thing I'll say about the defensive linemen are that. Um, I feel like what's unique about this draft is that while it's so high, there there are a lot. It's very you know top heavy 
you know, at the top with the guys that we've mentioned. But I think you can get good value late in the first round as well. Absolutely. In the first round, you know. I mean, Ed Oliver was a guy that we, people have talked about slipping in this draft to the mid-first round. I don't think it's going to happen now, but if that happens, I mean, I think that's an excellent uh, value. I think Rayshon Gary is the guy, if you can get mid-first <laughs> mid round, could be excellent value. Dexter Lawrence, Clone Farrell. So I I think this is just a very deep draft. Yeah, you got Mont- uh, Montez Sweat is is a athletic freak. Montez Sweat as well, yes. Um, I mean, yeah, this this is this is one of the best defensive linemen classes I've ever seen. I Rob, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And, and I think they're all going to go high. I think that waiting on them for uh, late in the first round, as the Chiefs probably figured, they're not going to be there. They're going to go. And that's the thing that makes the chief deal interesting is I wonder if the, if for them they figured was it worth trading up to get one of these guys and know that while the guys can end up being great players maybe they don't have the year one production that Frank Clark will have uh, instead to just just get the guy that you know can step in and get twelve sacks next year and uh, and pay what you have to pay but know that like for a guy again like Andy Reid who's on a on a, a shortened clock. That might make more sense for him. So, I mean, this when you really break down this stuff and why these teams do the things they do, it's all really fascinating. But, Rob, I want to go back to you. Uh, what players that could go in day one or day two do you think are most underrated or most overlooked heading into this uh, draft on Thursday? I think that a Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson, he, he's, I, I really think he's going to go day one on the first round. But I never hear his name mentioned. You, know, you hear all these defensive linemen, and obviously the ones we already mentioned, Bosa, Allen, Williams, and Oliver, you know, kind of get grouped at the top as guys who are going to go really high. But then everyone has their favorites, and I always hear Montez Sweat. Could he go this high with the heart condition? Maybe he's dropping. You hear uh, Jerry Tillery and Jeffrey Simmons on the interior. People like love Brian Burns. Even they like people love Ja'Kai Polite out of Florida. Uh, despite his bad testing and all the character concerns. And I just never hear anybody saying they love Clean Farrell. And he was just rock solid for Clemson. He's like 6'5", 250, 260. He's long. He gets after the passer. Uh, I think that he's just going to be – if he's what's left over after all the offensive, uh, defensive linemen go, uh, there's a team that's going to be really happy with the player they got out of him. That would be my number one guy that's being overlooked, especially – Talking about round one talents. What about you, Kendall? Um, I think in terms of a big board, uh, in terms of where I've seen guys getting mocked compared to where I would probably have them in this draft. I mean, I think for me, I think T.J. Hawkinson um, is another guy I've talked to E.J. about. I, I think that he's going to be uh, terrific from day one. Um, I think whatever team, if I mean, I hope he goes to a team that has the quarterback because. Compare him, let's say, in Green Bay, for example, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the Vikings fan, that would be uh, not ideal. But um, I think he's another guy that I think could end up uh, being a pro bowler as a rookie, being an all-pro guy early in his career. Um, and I'm also high on Hollywood Brown. Who I, I think I, I think Holly, I don't think this is a good wide receiver class at all, but I think Hollywood Brown, for me, is the best receiver in this draft. In this draft so... Um, those are two guys that I think uh, probably outperform their draft slot, depending on where they get picked. A um, couple guys I look at. I look at Miles Sanders out of Penn State. Um, I, 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 I look, I, not to say that he's necessarily being overlooked, because I think that um, he'll probably go 
where he should, which is second round. There's rumors he could be the first running back taken. Uh, I, I I mean, every time I watched Penn State play, I was really impressed with how much they didn't lose as much of beats I thought they would uh, with Saquon Barkley. Um, he, he's, he's, he's quick. He has really good hands. I, I, when I look at Sanders, I can't really point to really any any major weakness. Maybe you say, you know, does he have that, like, end line speed that you'd want? But uh, I think he's competitive. I think that um, he's smart. I, I, he's a really good running back. I, I think I expect him the next year to come in and, and, and help an NFL team immediately. So he's one guy uh, I like. I also, um, I'll tell you what, I, this is a guy who I've seen slipping. I think that people are, are, are underestimating uh, Greedy Williams. Um, guys with that kind of length, that kind of quickness, that kind of speed, I, I understand maybe he didn't always play to the level of his talent, but he's the kind of guy that I would love to get into my team, get on my program, and, and coach him up. I, I don't see how I, I see mocks or, or big boys having him in the you know 35s and the 40 range. That seems crazy to me. Uh, I think that he's a guy that... Should be a first round pick probably. So uh, those are two guys that I look at and that uh, that that I, I think are being a little bit overlooked. Uh, any thoughts on those guys we brought up, Rob? Uh, I think Greedy Williams. He would have been on my board. I'm still not sure how because some people still love him, and then some people just complain that he doesn't tackle in the run game, and it doesn't just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, he tackled the receiver. The receiver catches the ball, he tackles him. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to be a you know cover two corner who's coming up and making hits like Peanut Tillman. But uh, give me a break. He's six <laughs> two and he runs like lightning. Um, and Miles Sanders, you know, tested off the waltz. It's really a bad running back draft. Uh, I'd be surprised if you know, he's probably one of the you know, three or four running backs who uh, I even think could probably make a positive impact in the league. And, and one of the guys that I think is also being unlooked is Paris Campbell. You know. Uh, Paris Campbell, another guy. Uh, I know he's in an air raid offense. Everybody's getting the ball in space, but I mean, he tested out extremely well running a four three. He's another guy that, to me, uh, of the wide receivers at Ohio State, he's even jump out the screen, uh, off the screen most. Little small, little on the size, but I feel like maybe playing in the slot somewhere, he could end up being a pretty, pretty much a pretty good impact player as well. What was that kind of? Well, no, I was, I was only gonna mention uh. Another wide receiver I like is uh, this kid Hakeem Butler at Iowa State, who I, I think. Uh, mm, I like him too. Yeah, this yeah. Kid, you know, I, he, I mean, he's a tremendous athlete. You know, I. I the only thing I worry is I worry, you know, because of the the athleticism, I, I get worried about uh, Josh Dotson. You know, mm. another guy who's a tremendous yeah. athlete, made a lot of big plays. But um, again, in a weak wide receiver draft, I, you know, give me a guy I can ball like Hakeem Butler. Rather than some of these physical freaks that, uh, that I'll talk about very soon. <laughs> that being said, uh, I'll go to you, Kendall, first. Then, uh, who are the guys that you think are, are a little overrated right now? Uh, well, I, I imagine a lot of people know what I'm going to say next, but uh, yeah, I think DK Metcalf is uh, extremely overrated at the wide receiver position. Um, I, I mean, he is yes a physical freak, but I mean. Give me the time where give me the time. I mean, to be fair, there, there, there. He is an extremely boomer bust prospect. Could I envision DK Metcalf being the best receiver in this draft and a Pro Bowler and a All Pro receiver? It's not impossible for me to imagine that. But I also can envision this guy flaming out 
and not being really uh, a one, two, or three receiver in the league. And for me, I'm not drafting that guy in the top 10, uh, the top 15. I mean, maybe late first round if I'm a team that has a stable situation, stable quarterback, stable, uh, and you need a you need a, an extra weapon maybe. But um, it's just rare for me that we see a guy that was less productive in college than, like, his counterpart. Who I mean, I, I think A.J. Brown's a nice prospect. I don't love him, but um, he shows – I think he can be a good receiver. Uh, I feel like he's a much safer pick than D.K. Metcalf, who uh, wasn't as, I don't think was as good as A.J. Brown. Um, I mean, it reminds me kind of of, you know – we did see, you know, Sammy uh, Sammy Watkins was a better receiver in college, uh, and then you know, New Hopkins mm. being better in the league. Uh, we've seen, um, you know, Dwayne Jarrett and Steve Smith. Uh, so we've seen guys at times where teams have had two receivers, and the the guy that was less heralded ends up being the better player. Um, so maybe that's the case now. I don't. I mean, it's it's weird because I mean, AJ Brown was more heralded for the last, you know, year or so, and Metcalf's kind of shot up out of nowhere. But yeah, uh, Metcalf is just a guy I'm not high on. What about you, Rob? Uh, I'll, I'll you know I agree on Metcalf, and I'll probably expand that to any receiver you're thinking of taking in the top twenty is probably overrated. Mm. Um, yes. Just you know, it's just not a. It's been a while since you really had a, a receiver who was worthy of being taken. That why do you th- do? Why do you think that is? Is there a reason for that? Do you think the way the teams are being are playing makes it different? Whether it be a coach, is there? Because I agree. I, I feel like we've gone a lot of years now, at least multiple, two at least, where it, there's been, been no it, guy it, not it, ready it, to be drafted in the top twenty. It's really probably been since Amari Cooper, since an elite type receiver has entered the league. Yeah, and uh, and Amari Cooper's had his issues too. So, so you might want to argue that it goes back to Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks class. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. And this and this class is weird because they're they're all really tall. Like they're all six three, six four, heavy receivers, and it's just not what we're seeing. He works in the league right now. Yeah, it's what worked in the league five, six, seven years ago. Everybody's looking for these guys, and they kind of moved away from him, and they were going to the Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown types. So it doesn't really. I, I, I kind of. I don't know if this is a trend reversing with the tall receivers coming back. Um, all I know is that I just don't have any confidence in any of these guys are, are going to come in and be uh, number one type uh, receivers. That's why I like uh, Hollywood Brown. I feel like he, he's in the mold of the other guys. That's kind of why I like Paris Campbell. It's the same thing, right. you know. Those are the kind of guys that seem to be having success coming into the league nowadays. It's not the monster X or Y receiver who's you know standing at six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds. You know, it's not to say those guys, these guys in this draft, because there are again there are a lot of them can't come in. One of them, one of these guys, be that dude. But it's just I haven't seen it in a while, and I'm have to kind of see it to believe it and especially with Metcalf I agree that the production just hasn't really been there for me I, I'd have to see uh I had to see more I mean to draft him super high um the, I, I hate to pick on this guy for me because I, I kind of already picked on him in the video we did but I, I still I still don't understand the fascination with Daniel Jones uh quarterback Duke 
uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I again, uh, well coached, coach, you know, playing under, under David Cutcliffe, who's an excellent quarterback coach, excellent offensive coordinator. Uh, to me, you know, when I see a quarterback, I just I want to point to something that I can say, okay, that guy does extremely well, uh, or even elite. There, I say, I don't know. He doesn't do anything that jumps off the screen. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I've tried. I've tried. I've watched so much film on Daniel Jones. It's fine. What I am missing with this guy, and I just don't see. It. I think I I, think I see an average arm. I see honestly average accuracy. I know a lot of people talk about how accurate he is. I, I don't I don't think he's as accurate as people make him out to be. It's he kinda reminds me of like a Mason Rudolph from last year. I, I don't I don't see uh a first round pick with Daniel Jones and I think that I think he's gonna go in the first round. And that's that's crazy to me. It seems like Daniel Jones is going in the first round. I I thought Mason Rudolph was a much better prospect. I agree. Um, I like I talked about last year I talked about Mason Rudolph as one of the guys I thought was being overlooked. <laughs> In this year's draft, but that was him going third round. I, I'm yeah. seeing Daniel Jones as a first round pick. I, I, I do not get it. Yeah, I don't. I don't get him. And I know that you're high on Drew Locke, but uh, I don't get the Drew Locke thing either. I, I mean, you know, for I'm me, on Drew Locke. it's always when I rank quarterbacks. It's there's always a, a giant gap in my rankings from maybe it's my third or fourth quarterback to my fifth, and it's because you're either a starter or you're not when you're a quarterback. There's no way to contribute in a small way as a quarterback. So I don't know that Drew Locke is a starter. I don't know that I'm, – I'm, I don't see any reason to believe that Daniel Jones is a starter. Uh, the fact that teams are considering these guys in the first round bewilders me. I like Will Greer. I know there's some big players for Will Greer, but I wouldn't take him really in the first round too, unless you. He's more in that Andy Dalton uh, top of the second round range. If you're looking for, you know, let's take a flyer on a guy while I already have a quarterback to compete with. Um, but I would skip uh, after if I don't get Murray or Haskins, I'd let everybody else pull Locke and Jones off the board, and then I would try to grab uh, whether it's Greer, maybe you like Ryan Finley. Um, you know, another one of those guys that you know they they know they have no business being in the first round, but at least I see something there, and and at least if I'm grabbing them, you know, in the second or third round, like where Mason Rudolph went, at least you're getting some, uh, you might get some value out of the pick as opposed to just having a disappointing use of your first rounder. And to me, uh, I remember also then the following week going crazy because I, I I thought the Rudolph fit didn't make sense for a Pittsburgh team that was trying to win a Super Bowl where they took him. That's also going to be key, too, with these guys is um, what kind of team are they going to? Are they going to a team where they can be developed, but are, are they also going to a team that has an actual succession plan in place? Either these guys got to get thrown into the fire immediately, or one of these guys gets stuck behind a quarterback who has no business or no reason to look into retirement anytime soon. Then I don't know. I don't know where these guys end up going. I, I think that the Dalton Greer kind of like comparison was in terms of situation that may fit was 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 good. I think it kind of applies to all of them. I I am higher on Locke because again I look at okay what do you do extremely well? Locke has an electric arm. I think nice. he probably has the best arm in the draft. So give me that guy, and then I question his coaching. My thing: give me that guy's arm, and give me let me coach him up. And maybe I turn into something that is special. Because, again, to me, he has... We talked about Mahomes a couple years ago and what kind of crazy arm he had and how those guys 
you know, if they get the right coach and the right system, and you never know. Locke, I don't want to say he's Mahomes, but he he's in that same ilk where I feel like the skills with the natural ability he has, I would be curious to see what i do if I got him in my system, not what I saw from Missouri last year. Jones, I don't – there's nothing – I'm not curious about anything he does. There's nothing he no, does that's curious. There's nothing I, I'm interested in coaching up. He's a the, decent the, the player. Jones profile, the, the Jones profile reminds me of uh, the Nathan Peterman profile coming up, mm. and which is like you know he he has all the looks of like a of a steady ten year vet quarterback. He got the size, good enough arm, good enough accuracy, you know. And Peter, I mean, obviously the wheel fell off of Peterman, so I can't imagine him being that bad. But like, this is not somebody that I would ever put the future of my franchise in the hands of. And, Rob, the last question before we let you get out of here, man. Um, out of the teams, in terms of how the draft is slated, uh, or which team do you think has the most to gain in this year's draft, whether it be building towards the future or building towards a, a contention in, in this year's uh, postseason? I think it's the Packers. I think the Packers are right where the Saints were. Uh the year that they drafted uh, Ryan Ramchick, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, and Alvin Kamara. They've got two first-round picks. They've got a stud quarterback. Uh, and they haven't been contenders in maybe three years now. Uh, and it's pretty inexcusable. They did a good job last year you know, grabbing uh, you know, the secondary help uh, with their extra uh, in trading down, uh, which got them their first extra first-round pick this year when they traded with the Saints. And they still picked up, you know, productive players in the first and second round in Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson. Um, I think this year with two first-round picks, you know, if they knock it out of the park, they add some weapons for Aaron Rodgers, maybe add an impact player either on the offensive line where they've been kind of hemorrhaging talent uh, slowly over the last few years or somewhere on the defense. Uh, this is a team with a new head coach that could pop right back into the elite in the NFC. It would be very easy to imagine them being in the Super Bowl this year uh, with just a couple of key additions. Well, you can. Yes, uh, I mean, I was, yeah, I was, I was gonna go with uh, Green Bay. You know, I had already stole it from you. With, yeah, you did. I already mentioned them. With you know, if they could pick up someone like uh, T.J. Hawkinson, uh, that could be uh, again very dangerous. But. Uh, for the sake of being different, I will look at, I mean, I think the Oakland Raiders, you know, I think Oakland picked up a lot of draft capital, obviously through the trades that they've made uh, throughout the year. And, you know, you already brought in uh, Antonio Brown. Um, Do you use this draft capital that you've acquired to make a play for a quarterback? Do you, uh, or do you supplant, Derek Carr with uh, talent both uh, on the defensive side of the ball uh, for John Gruden, but then also uh, talent around Derek Carr, uh, particularly in the backfield because, I mean, Marshawn Lynch, is he coming back? I guess he's coming back. I don't know. Um, but, you, I mean, they, need, they do need a running back, uh, and that's somebody that they could pick up late in the first round, potentially Josh Jacobs. Um, but I just feel like there. Whenever you have three first-round picks, there are a lot of ways you can you can mess around. You could use all three, or again, you could uh, use the two in the back half to trade up 
back into the early half of the first round, maybe use have two first round picks. They can be creative, um, but I think Oakland is going to be the most uh, fun team to watch this uh, this weekend. Um, Oakland is, is a team a lot of people are looking at because again the three first round picks. Uh, I'm gonna go a different route here. I'm actually gonna go with Indianapolis. Um, Indianapolis is a team that uh, has a first round pick, and I believe they have two second round picks because they got one from the Jets. We kind of forget how close Indianapolis looked when we were watching them play last year to a team that maybe could get to the Super Bowl, and they were probably a year ahead of schedule. They still uh, can, can improve their, you know, again, we talked about the wide receiver pool being not the greatest, but they still could could find a way to maybe improve their, their wide receiver pool. Uh, they, you know the defense could use a lot of work. They they could be in a position, especially with all the pass rushers in this draft, um, if one of them ends up slipping in the second round, they want to move up uh, earlier in the first round to get one of these guys. I'm looking at the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I think they're a team that definitely should be definitely should be considered a Super Bowl contender next year, but it's going to start uh, with this draft. We know they already got D. Ford. Do they pair him with the defensive lineman? Like I said, do they do something in the secondary? Uh, do they pair Aaron, uh, Andrew Luck with more weapons? They're in a position to do that, and I think that they're a team that has a lot riding on this draft. They kind of took people by surprise last year, but now Luck is entering his prime. They got to start to really – they've now got to look to, to be a contender. And there's no reason why in this draft they can't do that. Um, I think that's going to, though, wrap our, our, our NFL draft uh, portion of the show. So I got to thank my man Rob DeRay for, for joining on this part of the show. Rob, any last thoughts for Thursday? Enjoy the draft. There you go. Simple. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I really do appreciate you coming on. But uh, uh, hopefully, we are you. I, this is, I'm putting you on the spot here. We are you willing to come on next week to talk talk uh, post draft stuff? Yeah, we should be able to get that together. All right, no doubt, man. So, Rob Ray, thank you again, um, and then we'll be talking to you soon. All right, enjoy the playoff talk. See you next, hear from you next week. Alrighty. As Rob said, let's move on and talk about the NBA playoffs now. The Celtics and Bucks completed first round sweeps to advance uh, in their first, advance to their Eastern Conference semifinal matchup. There were concerns for the Celtics uh, heading into the postseason after a, a very lopsided, very inconsistent uh, regular season. But after their impressive performance, Kendall, are you more encouraged that uh, the Seas can knock off the, the Greek freak? Um, I mean, I'm definitely more encouraged. I would have been worried and concerned, uh, or I was worried and concerned after the Marcus Smart injury about the, 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 what the Celtics team would look like without him. Cause I mean, the, the, the feeling among Celtics fans has always been that, you know, Smart is the glue. Smart is the glue that keeps everything together. You can lose Kyrie, you can lose Tatum, you can lose uh, but other than maybe Al Horford, Smart is the, the most valuable player on this team. Um, but really what I think the case is, I think that this team, we may serve better. Because obviously the notion that, that the Celtics are more, Celtics are better without Kyrie Irving. Look at the numbers, look at the, look at the win percentage. They're just a better team without Kyrie. Or they're a better team without Hayward. What I, what I think it is, I think the Celtics are probably better with a shorter rotation. You know what I mean? Like, not having Smart playing 35 minutes 
gives more time to Brown, more time for Brown on the court, more time for Hayward, more time for Morris, more time for Rozier, uh, and even gives Kyrie more freedom to play make um, because you know Smart's one of our primary ball handlers, uh, and I think guys just, and and also gives Gordon Hayward more more freedom to play make. So I think guys feel more comfortable when there's less mouths to feed, and while I think we do lose some on the defensive end. Uh, it didn't hurt us against this Indiana team because they, you know, had no offense. Uh, but I think going into this Milwaukee series, Smart would have been much uh, needed. Um, it's hard for me to take too much out of the Indiana series because then I would have to take a lot out of the, the Milwaukee series because Milwaukee looked just as dominant or well, more dominant than even Boston did against Indiana. So um, it's still going to be a tall task. I do feel a little better because the Celtics are playing great basketball, but Milwaukee's still going to be a very tough opponent. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree that I think you have to be a little more encouraged. Uh, I think that before the playoffs, I was very low in the Celtics. We talked about it on the show that you weren't on. I, I thought that they would struggle with Indiana a little bit. Um, not because they didn't have way more talent than Indiana, but uh, or not despite the fact that they had way more talent than Indiana, but because um, they just hadn't played with the kind of uh, emotional maturity that you would expect from a team that has been to the conference finals in back-to-back years that puts a roster out there that has so many veteran players. It didn't make sense how they navigated through this regular season. But that none of those signs showed up in this postseason. Um, Kyrie was big when he had to be. Gordon Hayward was big in Game 4 when he had to be. Um, the role player, I thought Jalen Brown had a, had, a, had, a, had a really brilliant Game 3. I, I really like how the Celtics are playing. And now, perhaps I really underestimated how much Indiana was going to struggle late in games. And I won't say I maybe. I did. I, I, I did. I thought that they might get one or two blowouts in that series. They didn't get any anywhere close to that. But I think a lot of credit still goes to the Celtic defense. We know uh, when they're playing well, they're usually playing well because they're an elite defensive team. And we saw that return in this postseason. They had some quarters where the Pacers were struggling just to score double digits. And if they play that caliber defense against the uh, the Bucks, albeit it would be a lot more difficult, they're going to give themselves a great chance. It should be um, a, a really a really fun series. Uh, as of today, I still lean Milwaukee because I think when you got series like that with two really explosive teams, I'm going to point to who the best player is, and as great as Kyrie is, I, I still think that the, uh, Giannis is just on uh, a different strategy right now with the way he's playing. Um, that game four in, in Detroit, uh, Detroit did not lay down. They tried to extend their season, and to see Giannis have that kind of performance in the playoffs, it showed me that he's he's uh, he's grown up a lot. And um, the concerns I may have about the fact that this team hasn't really had that long playoff experience and that maybe Boston being a little more of an experienced team could uh, clip them. That performance really told me a lot about Giannis. Yeah. I mean, Giannis, uh, I mean, he, he had a, he had a, he had a strong series against Detroit, um, you know, scoring, I mean, scoring 41 again, shows that he, he is, I would agree that he's ready. Uh, for this series against Boston, I think he's gonna wanna. You know, I think he remembers last year returning to me. Uh, one other thing that makes me ex- not excited, but uh, you know, makes me feel better about Boston is that 
I think Gordon Hayward is uh, only the only he's back because he's still not the same player athletically, but um, he's no longer the liability that people thought he was early in the year. You know, Gordon Hayward, um, you know, a game against Indiana, uh, when he can get it going, I mean, he's a tough player to play against. And, you know, having him around Tatum, who have played excellently in the series, that Boston is not going to be an easy out for any team. And, you know, it, the key is just these guys are going to have to hit on all cylinders. You know, this is going to be a tough matchup, but depth-wise, I like the Celtics roster better than Milwaukee. I think it's just the only way Boston wins the series is Kyrie can go, you know, you know, point for point, bucket for bucket with, with Giannis. Or if the Celtics defense is just uh, tremendous, which is possible, but that's going to be harder without Marcus Martin. So it's going to be either one of those two ways that they win this series. I think it's more likely it's the defensive route, but Kyrie also had, to, had a strong series against Indiana, so um, that'll be important. One thing about the Bucks that Indiana was unable to really have was the Bucks should be able to put more pressure through dribble drive than the Pacers were. Pacers really only had one guy on the roster who was a threat to, to, to dribble drive past people, and that was... Evans and I mean Tyreek Evans is a good player but he's Tyreek Evans uh, this team will have Giannis and Eric Bledsoe who uh, definitely can put a lot of pressure on the defense Giannis especially because you have to play off of him and that can end up uh, and, and double team off of him so that can end up uh, leaving a lot of shooters open so Boston's defense and their their their, their um their ability to stop drill penetration is going to be uh, tested in this series because that's pretty much all button holder relies on is you you have to be able to get into the paint and get to the rim to allow those shooters wide open looks. And we know if the Bucks get good looks, it's lights out for you. Um, they're a dead-eye three-point shooting team. And uh, if the Celtics can, can keep the Bucks in front of them and keep the game in front of them, they're going to have a shot. So uh, so, so it's going to be a good series. But right now, I think I'm leaning uh, uh, Bucks in seven. Where, where would you go with this, Ken, though? Uh... I mean, I don't like making predictions involved in something at this stage, but um, I'll go season seven. Yeah. No, I'll go season six. Season six. Yeah. Okay. Um, other NBA news outside the postseason. Um, the Los Angeles Lakers, Kendall, have reached out and interviewed one Jason Kidd. Uh, Kidd, we talked about a lot on this show in four seasons with the Nets and Bucks. He has a combined 183 and 190. Record, this coaching search has become, honestly, a little more expansive than I thought it would be. Um, Lou interviewed, Monty Williams interviewed. I think Jawan Howard interviewed, too. Am I wrong about that? Yes. So now this is the fourth guy they've gone through. So this coaching search has been pretty expansive. Kendall, we've, again, as I said before, we talked about Jason Kidd a lot, and we were not very high on the idea when we first heard about it. Is there any way the months since we've talked about Kidd to the Lakers, has that changed your mind? Is there any way you feel like Kidd could potentially be a good fit for the Lakers? <laughs> yeah, it was funny when uh, the, the report went, you know, was interviewed by Rob Palenka and Kurt Ramis for the Lakers job. I was like, man, this is a, this is a train wreck. But, yeah, um, I, I don't know what's worse. Uh, what, well, I don't know what made that part a train wreck. The kid being interviewed. Palinka running the show, or that somehow Kurt Rambis somehow got into the decision-making process. 
It was all bad. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about, about the headlines we read was very bad for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the Lakers are in a weird mess. You know, I, you, I, I for the for the love of me, I can't fathom why any team, but especially this team right now, would make a coaching hire without having an executive. I mean, unless Rob Palenka is just going to be the guy calling the shots. I think what I heard from earlier today was that they're not going to replace Magic Johnson. So Rob Palenka is just going to take control. Yeah. Oof. That's, uh... I don't know. <laughs> That's dangerous. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there was talk that, you know, they would go after maybe Bob Myers. they go after uh, Arne Tellum, maybe. Another super agent. Uh, you know, I've always had my Kobe Bryant theory, you know, that I think would, would be interesting. But, um, I mean, if they're just going to go with Palenka, then that seems to be the only reason why they would be do- moving like this. And that's not encouraging. As a Lakers fan, of all those names that we've seen, I mean, I think Monty Williams is probably the most attractive, the, more, the one that makes the most sense. Uh, but I don't love any of those names, to be honest with you. I'll be honest, Kendall. I, one, the kid. Uh, I, I don't. I just don't see the fit. Um, a kid, kid to me in his four years as an NBA coach, and this is speaking. You're and for context, this is someone who is Jason Kidd is probably one of my all time five top five favorite players of all time. So this is not a Jason Kidd hater at all. Um, but keeping it one hundred with Jason Kidd as a head coach, at best you'd say he was average. Um, the way he related to his players was odd. His rotations were odd. His fixation on uh, on one-on-one play and non-system basketball was odd. He and there were other parts of him that were good. I thought that um, I thought his teams, for the most part, were, were really good defensively. I thought that he did kind of have a a knack for 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 adjustments that sometimes uh, worked out well in some postseason series. Um, and we know Jason Kidd is has an extremely high basketball IQ, but just because you have that doesn't mean you're a great NBA head coach. And I, I don't see how someone with Kidd's track record as being what some others would say uh, disloyal and dishonest, um, that he's the kind of person you want to bring into the Laker fold at this moment in this stage of the Laker organization. No, the Lakers were a little more stable. Yeah, right, the Lakers were a little more stable. You know, uh, there was a little more certainty about what things were going on, and they really were excited by what Kid could bring to the table with his basketball IQ, with his relationship with LeBron James. Maybe I would understand that a little more. I think that his relationship with LeBron is very much why he's being considered right now. Because, um, of course, they played together with Team USA. But I, I just feel like... He, He's too much of a wild card as a character to put into this what has been, I don't want to say toxic, but it's been a, a very, very uh, combustible situation so far, which I guess is just as bad as toxic. I don't know. But um, it, I don't see how he's the guy that, that you bring in at this point in time. As the coach that they've uh, interviewed, I'll be honest, I don't see why Ty Lue is such a bad idea to me. Um Ty, that's the that's the one they can't hire. Why? Why? What? What's the wrong with Ty Lue? Look, the guy has an NBA championship. Ty Lue, none of the guys they're gonna hire are gonna have an NBA championship. Lue, 
This guy is just, he's just the meme. He's the meme LeBron puppet coach that we've had, that was there in Cleveland for so long that, like, I mean, you hired Tyloo. Yes, he has a ring. But, I mean, and do, one, do I feel like Tyloo got kind of a raw deer, deal earlier in the year getting fired after, like, five games? Yes. You know, that was any, I, I mean, I have just a, a similar to how I feel about, you know, coaches being hired before executives. Any coach getting fired five games into the season is poor management. That's not poor coaching. But regardless, um, nobody, I don't think there's anybody out there that feels like Ty Lue was the reason why they won a championship. Now, not to say, not to take credit away from him, because anytime you win a championship, so you, you did a good coaching job. You didn't mess it up at the very least. You handled the Eagles, you put guys in. But so I guess maybe they do worse. But I just feel like Ty Lue, the Lakers aren't Cleveland. They're not in the West. They're not in the Eastern Conference. They don't have superior talent to the teams they're going to be facing. Maybe they will get to that point. But right now, I want if I'm the Lakers, this is a, a storied franchise with arguably the best player in the league. I want to. It's probably a more. Uh, I would think an, uh, an attractive job. Luke Walton wasn't a guy that was winning you any game. Again, not a bad coach. Didn't put them in the wrong situations, but just wasn't going to make you better. If I can get someone on a Brad Stevens level, a Mike Budenholzer level, you know, uh, uh, I mean, just somebody that, like, Bud takes Milwaukee from a, you know, 45-win team to a 55-win team, 60-win team right. in a year. I, they can find somebody like that. I'm, that's the problem. Though. I don't think that guy's. I don't, I don't think that guy's out there though, Kendall. Like I, me and you, me and you were one hundred percent, one thousand percent right about what Bud was going to do to the Bucks. Anyone who knew anything about basketball knew the difference that was going to be from Prunty and Kid to Buttonholder, and didn't ignored whatever happened in Atlanta that last season. Kendall, that guy isn't isn't out there right now. So if I'm looking at the guys they have available to them, Lou. Is a former Laker, so he knows the Laker lore. He's won championships as a player. He uh, former Laker. I mean, he's, he's he's a former Laker. I mean, in fact, man, the mo- he's all about he's all about memes. I mean, the one of the things he's most known for is being stuck over Allen Iverson in a series they did end up winning. Um, but he is a former Laker player. He has an NBA championship pedigree as a coach and a player. And at this stage of LeBron's career, I, I don't know if I want to mess around with a guy, and I'm not sure whether or not LeBron's going to listen to him. Um, I know that people think that maybe Monty, people think Monty or Jawan Howard, he would listen to because he's had a relationship with them. It, being an assistant coach is different than being a head coach. I don't know if LeBron's listening to those guys as a head coach. When you're an assistant coach, you're like, and I'm, you know, if you know anything about assistant coaches, these guys work very closely with the player in terms of their player development, in terms of their workouts, things like that. I won't say they're like their buddies, but they're, there's a much more of a, of a personal relationship with assistant coaches than there are with the head coaches. I don't know if that's going to translate with those guys as head coaches. At least I know it's Ron Lou. LeBron listens to him. Uh, whether or not it's fair that he doesn't listen to the other guys and listens to him, that's another story. But I, I know what Lou is as a proven commodity in terms of getting to LeBron. Uh, they always tell a story about him challenging LeBron for Game 7, saying his legacy was on the line, how it pissed LeBron off, and he thought that that was the right thing that he needed to do to get LeBron to play the way he needed to play to win that series. LeBron actually didn't play that well in Game 7, so I don't know if that worked offensively. But I think the idea that you have a coach who can 
somebody who can challenge LeBron uh, and, and can push LeBron, who LeBron's willing to take that kind of coaching from, is important. It's very clear he wasn't going to take that kind of coaching from Lou Walton. And LeBron has shown that if he doesn't like the guy that's in house, he's he's just going to take plays off. He's going to not play defense. The Lakers aren't in a position to waste any of these years. So my thing is, look, you may feel like he's kind of a LeBron flunky. I say the guy has won a championship. Um, and, I, and I think that he made very good adjustments in that championship series to beat the Warriors in that year. What they did to Steph Curry in, in, in neutralizing him. He's a really solid coach. He's been in the league for a long time. He's experienced. He's a decent game manager. For the guys they have available, I don't see how... It, to me, it's crazy that Lou is in lumped in with these guys. To me. You know, but I don't know. You're, you're really low on Lou, I see. Uh, I mean, look, I like. I think Lou is a safer bet than... I mean, Juwan Howard's a risk. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, know he's a massive like. risk there. You know, I don't know what he is yeah, as a head coach. I mean, he'd be great. But he'd be a train wreck. I know that he's done. I mean, he seems like he's been a fairly integral part in Miami, so I'll give him his credit. But um, being a head coach is a little different. Um, I think Monty Williams, I think, would be the most competent choice. You know, I think he's just the most. I think he's the the, uh, the guy, as we mentioned, you know, from what I've seen, he seems like he'd be the brightest basketball mind. You know, I think uh, he's been he's, he's been surrounded by so many bright basketball minds, you know, over the last five, six, seven years. I mean, through all the different experiences he's had, he's coached at a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he's due another shot. Uh, and when he was a head coach, it's not, not as if he was bad. You know, so, no. you know, Monty Williams is somebody that, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, again, again, I don't know if Monty Williams is even a guy that wins me 20 games or, or 20 more games or wins me even five, six, seven more games. But I feel like, you know, I imagine he also probably already has a relationship with Anthony Davis. You know, if you can find a way to get Anthony Davis, I mean, I, I don't know. Monty Williams is a guy that I would go after uh, if I were the Lakers. Um, Kendall, let's let's get to the to the who's flame who's trash segment of the show. So I will go first, Kendall. My flames is Mets rookie Pete Alonso. If you guys have not been paying attention to the baseball season yet, Pete Alonso is a name you're gonna want to remember because this guy has stepped onto the big league stage and just lit it up. Right now, he has eight home runs. He's batting three twenty five. He's already uh, become one of the premier power bats in baseball. And this is his rookie year, and he's only 24 years old. Some of these majestic shots he's been hitting has been ridiculous. He hit a 431-foot bomb against St. Louis this weekend. Earlier in the month, Kendall, he hit a 454-foot uh, uh, home, home run in Atlanta that clocked in at 118 miles an hour. Uh that exit velocity was the hardest in the majors this year by far and the hardest by anyone not named John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. It appears that the Mets now have their own uh, New York smasher uh, at the plate playing first base in Queens, and his name is Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo is, is, uh, is Flames for me this week. Yeah, uh, Flames for me uh, is going to be Tobacco Road. Um, obviously, Tobacco Road is in reference to uh, the Duke-North Carolina rivalry. And you may be wondering, look, the college basketball season is over. 
why is Kendall still talking about? Uh, <laughs> I thought I was done talking about Duke and Zion. Why, why are we still talking about these guys? Well, we've moved on to the next cycle of college basketball, uh, including the, the recruiting trail. And both programs, Duke and North Carolina, had extremely, extremely strong weeks. Started last week uh, on Friday for Duke when uh, five-star power forward Matthew Hurt out of Minnesota ended his uh, long recruitment uh, when he picked Duke over North Carolina, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, and Memphis. Um, And then it continued for Duke on uh, Monday when they got another commitment from a five-star shooting guard, Cassius Stanley, out of uh, Los Angeles. Um, He committed to Duke over Kansas, Oregon, and UCLA. Uh, So Duke now all but likely secured the number one recruiting class in the country for the second year in a row. The only way I can see them not is if Memphis has just a ridiculous end to the uh, recruiting trail, which isn't impossible, but... Uh, as of right now, Duke is uh, is the fa- are the favorites to end with number one recruiting class in the country, and I would argue, what is uh, I mean, it's not gonna doesn't have the one, two, and three, but you know they have five, you know, arguably five star recruits. These uh, Will Gell is another guard out of California, who's borderline four star, five star guy. Uh, so I'd argue it's just as good as last year's recruiting class. Um, and then North Carolina picked up, uh, today on a Tuesday, picked up two commitments, uh, one obviously being from five-star top five player in the country, point guard Cole Anthony out of North Carolina, um, which is obviously a game changer. And they also got a commitment from four-star guard, Anthony Harris out of Virginia. But I mean... Huge week for both Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski uh, in their programs next year. North Carolina, I think it was more important for North Carolina than it was for Duke because North Carolina losing. Obviously, Duke's losing a lot, but they already had guys coming in, you know, getting hurt. And, you know, Cassius Stanley just makes them, you know, a top three team in the country probably next year. But uh, North Carolina was losing a lot. Uh, you know, Cam Johnson, Luke May. Uh, including their freshman Kobe White and Nasir Little, so getting Cole Anthony will likely be like 85% of their offense was imperative. And you know, I expect him to have maybe not a Trey Young type season, but I expect him to expect everything to be run through Cole Anthony next year. Um, yeah, uh, this was a huge week for for Carolina, the Carolina schools. Um, if there's any thought that maybe the recruiting had kind of Fall on a little bit this year for Krzyzewski yeah. and Roy Williams. That is proven to not be the case at all. You know, I remember. Remember, we did. Remember, I did a Kendall's court in like might have been like October, November. I was like, man, Duke, Duke's in trouble. Yes, they, he did. That they, they were they lost out on uh, Brian Antoine, who was supposed to go there. He ended up going to Villanova. They lost out on Isaiah Stewart, or uh, when I'm going to Washington, I was like, man, I don't know, <laughs> I think you know losing Jeff Cable might hurt them more than they expected, but. Obviously, I think you see the impact that Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish had on the program because that 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 I buzz agree. that wasn't there in October, in November when the season started, was obviously here there come March, April. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Th- things definitely changed for Duke and their fortunes. I think they have uh, those guys to thank for it, for they sure. Thank uh, ESPN for it. Yeah, yeah, ESPN helped them a great deal as well. Um, uh, for Trash Kendall this week, I'm going to Russell Westbrook's press conferences in postgame. So, of course, well, as we do the show today, the Thunder are down uh, 3-1 in their series with the Portland Trailblazers, a series that, while they were the lower seed, most people thought that they would get out of um, and win because so many people are so low on the Blazers. That has not happened Russ hasn't played particularly well. I don't really want to even focus as much on Russ's play as much as because one thing could turn around by the time you guys hear the show and maybe they win this series or something. But um, but I want to focus more on the post game stuff with him because he has this ongoing beef with one of the guys at the uh, Oklahoma City you know in the press corps uh, where every time this guy gentleman asks a question he says next question or doesn't respond. This has apparently been happening all year. It's been more poignant now seeing it happen in these press conferences. Look, clearly the guy, uh, uh, Barry, whatever his name is, apparently he's been very critical of Russ throughout his career in Oklahoma City. Surprise, surprise. Russ is a guy who's been a lightning rod for a lot of uh, media members. Um, But what concerns me about Russ is, what I think he's not understanding is, him doing this, especially after they're losing, it just looks like sour grapes. It looks like a guy who can't take the fact that he's not getting it done and now is taking it out on the media when all we would need is just an explanation as to why he's not answering this guy's questions and that would be fine. It would be different if um, it's not a Marshawn List situation where it's very obvious that, okay, well, this guy, he, you know, he's very uncomfortable speaking to the media for whatever reason. Um, yeah. This is, no, this is a targeted attempt uh, to, to to single this guy out, which, is, look, he may have a problem with this guy. That's fine. I mean, he may have an issue with something this guy wrote. But according to the reporter, he says that he doesn't know what that is because Russ won't even tell him what it is, you know, off the record or, or you know, behind closed doors that he's tried to to get some kind of resolution to what the problem is. And he doesn't even know because Russ is acting like this dude. Like it is your job. And we talked about this before. It is your job to answer questions from the media It is part of your contract. It is part of the CBA. If you don't like that, you have to answer questions from guys who write critical things about you. Then take it up with the, take it up with Michelle Roberts, take it up with the players association. I don't understand where the guys feel like they get away with this nonsense. And, it only, uh, I, I, to me, it only hurts themselves. I don't, I don't see how uh, how not speaking and acting in this cantankerous manner makes them look better than if they just answered the questions that they were given to them. Even though there is a chance that maybe that reporter, which is not majority of reporters, aren't doing this, but there are those reporters or those these outlets that may you know clickbait, do clickbait, you know, pulling quotes out of context and things like that, but. The fact to do this, I think, is is making him look much worse. And then when you pair it with how he's getting behind his behind kicked in these first four games, it, it just it just ends up being a bad look all around for a guy who he should be one of the the linchpins, one of the standard bearers of the NBA. It, it's not a good look for the league that he's acting like this in post game press conferences. He looks like a child. And um, Russ is a great player, great talent, 
one of the best players we have in the league, and by all accounts, a really good dude. And I don't doubt that. But the way he's handled these post-game press conferences has been 1,000, 100%, no question, trash. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was an interesting uh, kind of Twitter thread from uh, Molly Knight from The uh, Athletic, who's kind of telling a story, she's an L.A.-based uh, reporter, and she was telling a story about how, like, she went to OKC to interview Russ over, like, uh, uh, his Jordan brand shoe, and, you know, he was, he was contractually obligated to answer softball questions and Basically, he just, you know, didn't answer them, you know, just uh, didn't, didn't, you know, respond to her at all, just flipped through her magazine the entire time, and eventually she just walked out, and, you know, she just told the story about, like, you know, how she was glad that Steve Kerr called him out, said that, you know, that stuff's got to stop. Like, yo, like, fam, like, there's no reason to be just rude to people. The way she put it that, you know, he was treating, they, she, you know, that, he treats the media like they're, you know, less than human almost, you know, like that, you know, he's superior to them in some aspect. And that's not, uh, that's not completely, um, I mean, that's just not the way that Westbrook should, I don't, and I don't think that's the way Westbrook necessarily looks at it. I think he just looks at Derek, it's me against them. Yeah, he, it's a trust issue. He doesn't trust them. Yeah, he doesn't trust them. And my thing is like, they, there are good people and bad people in all industries. And, you know, there are, yes, there are bad media members. There are people that are going to be out to get him for whatever reason. Um, but that didn't, that shouldn't affect Westbrook just going out there and doing what he's got. Just, if, if there is an obligation, just complete it. You know, and it's different. Like, we've seen guys like Kyrie Irving who have had, like, Kyrie Irving's more like, you know, moody when it comes to dealing with the media. Some days he'll he'll be open. Some days he doesn't want to talk. Some guys, you know, Durant's kind of like that as well. Westbrook, it seems like he's just, you know, I think he's kind of checked out a lot. Yeah, he's 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 almost exclusively adversarial. Yeah, and he very much picks and chooses who he's even willing to talk to and for and won't. So, I mean, again, the the media isn't great, but at the same time, like Westbrook's got to, you got to understand that it's in the contract, and he's not going to do this stuff in the league, but to find him. Yeah, to me, time. yeah, to me, Ken. Though I think it's gotten to a point where the the league they need to step in. I think that and I, the and they, the, I've never seen. I, to be honest, it's 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 everywhere now. It's not just in sports. It's in politics. It's in entertainment. It's in music. I've never seen the adversarial relationship between entertainer, athlete, politician, and media than in 2019. It is at a fever pitch. It is, um, and I'm not saying that the the only it's all on the entertainers and the and the politicians and the what's the name the media has and some of its clickbaity um, tendencies and clickbaity uh, uh, practices. And, 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 and unfair practices have a lot to do with it, too. But I, I, I've never seen it this adversarial. This has gotten a little out of hand. And it's time for Adam Silver to step in. Because the NBA has gotten so popular 
and it's because of the out of the outside the basketball court stuff. It's not just because of the play on the court. It is what Joel Embiid is saying on Twitter. It is what Joel Embiid's calling Jared Dudley a nobody. Those kind of things are also <laughs> who would make the NBA great and what lines these guys' pockets. The idea that they want to take all of that popularity, all that money, all that praise, and not go through the steps that necessary to do it is just not. It, it's not it's not good business. It's just not good business practice. And Steve Kerr, uh, I think he maybe went a little far saying that it's dangerous to do this because at the end of the day, this is a sport. It's not, you know, I think it's more dangerous when you have, you know, the White House, you know, lying to the media and things like that. But when you're talking about, uh, you know, sports, dangerous is, I, I, is, 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 a, is an overreach, con- I think. I think in his context, I think he's saying dangerous for the NBA, like for the future of the NBA. Maybe. That, like. I hope so. You know, I wouldn't like, say it's dangerous overall. I, I don't think he means dangerous to society necessarily, but like, I think he means it's dangerous to the NBA for, because the NBA has had – the way he explained it was that they just had so much positive recently and that, you know, having players just cut out the media and creating this drama within – and this tension between the media and the players is just not ideal for the league. And Kendall, and and they got and what what if that is what he's saying? Then I think it is true only on this part. The last time the NBA went through a a very bad lull in popularity, there were a couple of reasons why. One, the Nets played in two back to back finals. The Spurs were the best team in the NBA. Those things don't help. But a large part of what happened also was a large portion of the fan base not liking the players and the stars of the league. Um, Kobe Bryant off the court issues. You know, a lot of America was uncomfortable people like Allen Iverson because of his appearance. A lot of the players because of their appearance. You know, we can argue back and forth about whether or not the dress code was the right way to go. I mean, the guys, they, that dress code is not even a thing anymore. I mean, these guys come out looking crazy every time out. But that's, now that's become actually, uh, you know, a positive part for the league, where at one point that was a negative part for the league. It, a big part of it was... The fans becoming uh, not liking the players. And, and, of course, we had the mouse in the palace, which was the kind of culmination of all of, of, of those all of those uh, concerns. They're, they're, the NBA is in such a good tip. It's, I'm, I don't want to say that they're, they're on the doorstep of that because that was as low as it got for the, I've been watching the NBA in terms of popularity, in terms of um, a, a fan approval rating of the league. They don't want to get to that point again. And I think deciding to pick a fight with the media is not going to be good for the players in the league. I think that most fans are going to look at it as these millionaire entitled brats are picking on these journalists who are most of them are making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Whether or not that's what is happening, it doesn't matter. Perception is reality. And at the end of the day, if you're in the business of making money, which all of these guys that are playing in the NBA and the NBA itself is in the line of is in the business of making money, then it's stupid to go through this fight. This is not a fight you want to pick. It's not a fight you're going to win. I think that they should uh, stay away from it. Anyway, what is uh, what is uh, trash for you this weekend? Though? Uh, trash for me this week is the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, I mean, not really. Surprising the Phoenix under trash uh, every week, but uh, this week in particular because they fired uh, Igor Kukoshkov after one year. Uh, I mean, I guess it's better than them firing Earl Watson, you know, after like five games. Mm. But 
uh, you know, not much better. <clears throat> Igor came into a situation <laughs> where he had no point guard. Um, he had, you know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and a bunch of buffs, essentially. Um, no veteran talent outside of Trevor Reader, who they ended up trading. Who also, like, couldn't play and basically was in semi-retirement when he got to Phoenix. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so my, my question is, like, what did they want Igor to do with this team? I mean, maybe they're firing him because it's just a new, it's new management, but, I mean, Robert Sarver is just the... I mean, honestly, he is extremely lucky, one, that he owns a team in Phoenix, and two, that James Dolan is around. <laughs> he would be... Just he would be unanimously the worst owner in the league, and one of one of if not the worst owner in sports. With the way he's run this Suns franchise into the ground, I mean, post D'Antoni, this team has been this franchise has been a train wreck. Uh, I mean, it, it's just it's sad because I'm like Igor. I thought was well, a little bit creative hire, you know. I, I'm the same reasons why I'm a little worried about what the Lakers are doing. They're going with the retrade guys i'm glad that uh you know they the Suns took a took a, a unique approach in hiring new york they made the mistake of drafting aiden over Doncic uh because you know similar to the you know the cardinals drafting kingsbury draft or signing hiring kingsbury draft murray you draft igor to or you hire igor to draft luca but um, still a shame that it turned out this way. Uh, hopefully, Igor gets another shot, more of a fair shake in a different city uh, with a more stable organization. Uh, but it just shows you as a coach, while I know there's only 30 of these jobs, and if one comes, and you got to take it, especially one that has like the upside that this Suns had job, that this Suns job had, you have to also, at the same time, make the best decision for yourself. And put yourself in a position where, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna work for a organization, gonna fire you after one year, and gonna give you no help and no assistance in putting a winning team around around you. So, I mean, if I'm Evan Booker, I'm asking for a trade. If I'm his agent, uh, I don't think it's gonna come to that. I've already made the case that they should trade Devin Booker anyway, but. Um, no, nah, it's just an ugly, ugly situation in Phoenix, and uh, unfortunate for Igor. Yeah, I mean, I wrote on Twitter that the Suns are the new kings. I mean, firing your coach after you get literally, you literally don't put a point guard on the roster to start the season. Um, is like peak 2014. No, Poor, yeah, <laughs> is peak 2014 Vivek Ramadoff. Like, like that. I mean, that's like. Redeemish or whatever. I can't pronounce the last name. Yeah. Um, uh, Ronnie Dive. Ronnie Dive. There we go. That is peak Vivek. Like, just like crazy, insane, don't know what you're doing. Scary ineptitude. This Suns team has missed the playoffs nine years in a row. They have failed to win more than 24 games in the last, Kendall, five seasons. Or four seasons, rather. Um,. This is not a team that's, oh, we're, you know, we're, we've missed the playoffs, but we're competing. We're showing signs of improvement. This is a team that's not even close. And it's crazy to me that you have a team that's drafted so high in the draft in all these years. And yet the best they're able to come up with has been Aiden and, 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 and Booker, 
who was a like a later lottery pick, and then all the busts that uh, compile their roster right now. It is unbelievable. They, just, they surrounded those guys with shooting, no point guard. Yeah, no shooting, no so point guard. Where's built roster for Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, and I feel bad for Igor Kokoshkov because. Like this kind of this guy had no chance. I mean, there was there you could not find me an NBA coach who would have took that roster and won more than twenty five games. No, Brad Stevens is winning maybe thirty. Yeah, you like, know Boonholzer. I mean, Boonholzer had an awful roster in Atlanta, and he won like thirty games. Like you can be a great coach, and if you don't have the players, you, you're not going to win games. I mean, to put a rookie coach who's never been a head coach before and put it, that kind of roster together. It's absurd. And you mentioned uh, Robert Sarver. Sarver, you're right. I mean, he's he's so bad right now. I, I uh, it's it's really kind of unbelievable how bad he's been. <laughs> and, and like the way the the people he's put the people he's put in management, the bizarre coaching fires. Uh, in fact, Devin Brooker is about to have his fifth coach, man. It's it's crazy, and to me, it's crazy that they've had an owner. Who's been this bad? Because Sarver's been bad forever. Like he's never been good. Like he he was bad as soon as he took over. But because of Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni and Martin Stoudemire, like like that kind of hid his lunacy, basically. And once some guys left that, once some guys weren't walking down that walking through that door, we saw all of what we needed to see from Robert Sarver in these past nine years. It's been all bad. He is. Probably the second worst owner in the NBA behind James Dolan, but man, has he been pushing for that number yeah, one if spot? Some fan, they'll be like, oh, "Man, give me James Dolan any day of the week." Shout out to Ludacris; he's coming for that number one spot. <laughs> Robert Sarver has been a you disaster. You want to hear a fun fact about Robert Sarver? In, in 2016, uh, he bought uh, a Spanish uh, second division soccer team, RCD uh, Melorsa. Uh, and he promised that they would be promoted to the to, to La Liga. Uh, one year later, they won they won nine out of forty two games and were actually relegated to the third division. Mm. So, you know, it, it, his his great ownership not only translates to the uh, the hardwood but also to the soccer pitch. Hate to see it, Kendall. Uh, let's get let's get Kendall's court and let's get out of here. What do you got this week? Kendall's court is a very, very funny situation. Um, it involves Doug Gottlieb and Stefan Marbury, two uh, <laughs> interesting basketball characters. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty random pairing right there. <laughs> I know, right? So it started, and I almost made I almost made Gottlieb trash, but I, I had to give the sun shout out, so I decided to move to Kendall's court. started with Doug Gottlieb making a very, very, uh, very, very scolding hot take or cold take, depending on how you feel about it. He, he came out with a random tweet saying, biggest miss in basketball, dot, 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 New York City has ball players. <laughs> so obviously I set off a lot, of, a lot of alarms, one being from Stefan Marbury, who obviously did not take kindly to the comments. Uh, all he responded with is, Doug, do you remember how dirty I used to do you in front of your daddy? <laughs> uh and then Marbury went. His father would be would be screaming at the beginning of the game. By the end, his father would be would walk up to me like, "You didn't have to do this to my son in front of the whole camp." <laughs> yes, I did. He's doo doo, and you hype him like the ball. And you know, he went on this whole rant. Uh, 
Baron Davis attacked Gottlieb saying he's the biggest myth uh, or the biggest myth is that you know anything about basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gottlieb, you know, responded, you know, talking about uh, he, he talking about the whole Marbury story. And then he was like, outside of Cole Anthony, New York City isn't popping out sham gods and Marbury's like they used to. That is the point. I didn't. That is the point. I didn't make it, and it wasn't because of my dad. It is because I couldn't make a shot in college. See us growing up, realize our own failings. Uh, you could uh, you could respond to any of that, EJ. Um, look, I I, I feel like I've taken I've taken on Godly on the show before. I think I can't remember for what it was, but if I haven't, believe me, I've wanted to. <laughs> um. Look, I, I think that Doug Gottlieb knows basketball. I think that Doug Gottlieb is a very good in-game color analyst. Yes, I agree with that. I don't understand why Gottlieb... Well, let me rephrase that. I know why he does it, but I think he's doing... I think Doug Gottlieb is doing himself a, a disservice by jumping into the hot take uh, arena. It's clear that that's where he wants to live. It's clear that's where he feels he belongs. And when he is living in that arena, sometimes you got to put out outrageous tweets to get people riled up. And I feel like Doug has purposely said things on social media or even on television. Though I think he's not as bad on television. Uh, at least as outraged on television. He's said some things, done some things that to me clearly are attention-seeking for someone who I don't think needs it. For me, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm overselling him. Uh but like uh, to me he's he's a he's a smart basketball dude. He knows the game. I like hearing him break the game down. Why he wants to get into these nonsense fights about how actually athletes are getting paid a lot of money and we're making it up and New York doesn't produce any basketball players. I mean, these are just like like these are very outrageous, very easily proven uh, disproven things. Now, if you want to make case that, that that now he made it, he, he changed it and said, "Oh, I was trying to say they aren't producing as many good players as they had before." Well, that's not what you said, fam. What you said was New York's not producing any NBA players. You said New York ball. City has. It's, it's a myth that New York City has ball players. I mean, that's like you're you're basically saying well, New York I'm is ang- you asking for a fight. I mean that, and yeah, first of all, yeah, first of all, you, that's why I say he knows what he's doing because you know. Saying that anything about New York City adversarial is going to pick a fight. New Yorkers and our core are going to fight you if you disrespect our city. So he knew what he was doing. And then to backtrack and try to make it like, oh, I didn't say what I actually said. He does that all the time. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not someone who follows everything he tweets. But I feel like every time he backs himself in the corner, he plays the victim card. And he's doing it here again with New York City when Stephon Marbury got disrespectful to him, just like he got disrespectful to the whole city of New York. Then he plays the victim card. Why are you bringing up my dad? And I know I wasn't a good player. Well, you shouldn't have been talking out of pocket in the first place, dog. Kemba yeah. Walker, Tobias Harris, um, Joe Noah is a multiple-time All-Star. Who, who was that? Tommy Diallo dunk contest winner. Diallo won the dunk contest. Uh, and do you, Cole Anthony just committed to, <laughs> to yeah, the North Carolina the number one player in the country, easily the number one point guard in the country. Jim like LePew just entered the draft out of high school. You're a kid. Okay. Precious Achua, you think he's pretty good? Precious Achua. He's going to be a top 10 uh, top ten prospect this year. When he commits, he, he's, he could be a top 10 pick next year. He's from New York City. I mean, that is just an, a, a <laughs> ghastly statement. 
Like, yeah, it's, it's over the top. Just say, yo, like, yo, we're New Yorkers. We talk about New York basketball all the time. We've had conversations. We've had conversations about about yo, New Jersey's coming up. They've kind of passed New York, or is New York and New Jersey is there a comparison? Is New York not producing the players they used to? Like, like you could have had that conversation yeah, and not and not been disrespectful. He wanted to be disrespectful, and then someone who was willing to look the bull in the eye and throw spit back at him, he couldn't take it. And I'm sorry, but like. I like I understand his context of saying you know they don't got the the Marburys and the Sham Gods, but like Kemba Walker is a max contract. He's a super. He's a borderline superstar. Yeah, borderline superstar point guard. You talking about Sham God? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, what? Come on, man. I mean, like I mean, saying they have a Sham God is like saying they don't have a Shamari Pons. Oh wait, Shamari Pons is actually in college yeah. basketball and yeah, played this year. Pick. Ty Jerome, another New York City point guard, might be a first round pick. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, it's outrageous. But again, I don't understand why Doug has decided to walk this line. But it's what he's decided to do. And um, as I said, I think it's unfortunate because I think he's a, a, a smart, talented dude. Like, but this is like he's he been doing this stuff from, a lot. Even the article I'm reading from your post that is like breaking down the situation, like. They referenced that, like, the, the, the tweet just came out of nowhere. There was no context. There was no, like, oh, yeah, this happened, so he decided to tweet about it. It's just one day he was just on his mind. I was like, you know what? New York City has no problem. I think he wanted to fight. I was oh, yeah, yeah. He was going to start He's like, I don't know if he expected Marbury to start getting personal about it. Well, like, you should have. But what I don't see that's what that's what that's what I don't get about Doug though. That's what I don't get about him is that, you know, and I've referenced it a couple times in this conversation, but he's he had a long he had a, a very personal spat with Jay Williams about uh, you know, um about the whole, you know, players getting paid thing. Pay for play college. Right. And 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 what and what I don't understand is, you know, he gets upset when people get personal with him, but he seems to approach these topics like in a personal, disrespectful way. Like, there's a way to present your argument that I don't think is going to just invite people coming out of you out of pocket. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like you could have contrarian views and it not come off the way it does with Doug, which I think I think he incites this, this response he gets from people. I don't think that people are just coming out crazy at him because he just is breathing air. Like, I think the way he kind of presents these inflammatory topics and inflammatory I use lightly because these is all fun really most of the part I think some of the, the the college athlete stuff is serious to me but even in that sense we're still talking about sports like but the way he comes about it it's like you you only gonna invite the same energy you put out into the world and he seems to continue to do that I have zero issue with Marbury laying the, the verbal and Twitter smackdown on him for this because it, like again, it's just crazy that you're a guy who played basketball at a high level, but not in the NBA, um, and you're talking to, and you're talking about like a place not producing great basketball players. Like that just is just is just it's just crazy to me. Like I would never, as a guy who played high school basketball, like be like, oh, like this area doesn't produce good. Play-. I, I would never. Why would I, who am I to say an, a play- <laughs> that good players aren't coming out of a certain place? Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's just not if Jordan. If Jordan said that, like, imagine if I was like the biggest myth 
you know what the biggest myth that that Texas produces big time college football players. Like, yeah, it's like who are you to say I, that? I privy to say that. Godly, you're not from New York. I got not plugged into New York City basketball. Like, I mean, it, it, like there are guys coming up. There are programs in New York City and in the Northeast that are strong AU programs. Guys coming up to be the best sophomore in the country from New York City. Like, I, I mean, I, that's an uninformed statement from the make. And she saw. Well, that's a whole other conversation that we get into that we've already broken down. Doesn't make sense. So I, I don't know where I don't I don't know what his logic is in the statement other than I just want to I just want shock value. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it got it got an arch. Now look, he he wanted the smoke. He invited the smoke. He got the smoke from Steph. I don't feel bad for him. Uh, as I said, if I was speaking to Doug, I'd say Doug. Stick with, you know, your poignant, like, breaking down college basketball or really any any kind of basketball, NBA basketball type of content. That's the content I want to see. This hot take. He's just not – it. to me, it just – like, a lot of this stuff comes disingenuous, a lot of these hot take artists. But, like, his just seems the most flagrantly obvious. Like, it's just like, what's – like, you're someone who actually is smart and knows basketball. And you're saying, like, this – like, just absurd things. It's like we know that what this is about. And, and and there's no reason for there's no reason for from him. He's again, I think he's 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 a smart, talented dude. It's just it's it's ridiculous some of the stuff he was saying recently. And this New York thing was just as asinine as everything else he said recently. But I think that's a good place to wrap this show for this week. So thank you guys so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. It being our dra- NFL Draft preview. Let me give a, a special thanks to Rod Ray for coming on. To talk about the draft, he says he will be on next week, so you guys can hold him to it. For our listeners, uh, I'd love to have him on next week to talk about what happens after the draft. Of course, we have plenty of NBA playoff stuff next week as well. Be sure to check out all of our podcasts on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, as if you guys are Game of Thrones fans, we just started up our Game of Thrones podcast again. The Throne Tales podcast. Two episodes are up, recapping the first two episodes of season six. So if you're uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, it's season eight. Wow, Jesus. <laughs> um, if you're a if you're a Game of Thrones fan and you, and you wanna uh you wanna uh, listen to five or six guys just yell at each other about Game of Thrones after watching it, you know, minutes minutes after the show airs, it's a good podcast to listen to. Also, make sure you check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Make sure you subscribe and like our videos. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, New Generation Media, at Twitter, New Generation Pod, and on Instagram. Uh, New Generation Podcast. Follow me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, at, at Action EJ. Once again, thank you guys for listening. For Kento, I'm EJ. Peace.